Empires do not suffer emptiness of purpose at the time of their creation. It is when they become established that aims are lost and replaced by vague ritual. Words of Muhadib by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we are reading Dune Messiah by Frank Herbert and talking about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we're going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. Evan, how you doing? How, how's the chapter going? It's good. It was uh, full of little moments, wasn't it? It's full of so many little moments. Real quick. <laughs> Who is in this chapter? Um, well, we got Paul. Yeah. We've got Chani, Stilgar, Aaliyah. Mm-hmm. We've got Irlan, little sourpuss. <laughs> and Corba, the Quizara. Yeah. Quizara? 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 Well, whatever. That yeah. Guy. We're, yeah. We'll get into all that. It's a packed chapter for sure. And there's a lot of sass. Oh yeah. It's so funny. Cause when I'm reading this the first time, I don't think I realize how much sass is in it (laughs) until it's like the second or third or fourth time I'm going through it now where I'm like, it reminds me of, okay. On Frank Herbert on the last chapter, he like leans into the sardonic that's a Frank Herbert word, right? The just irony and just stupidity of all of this. <laughs> like super hardcore in a serious way that you like look at it. You're like, wait, are they joking? Or are we serious? <laughs> and that's how this chapter feels too. It was like, what is Frank? What are you doing? What's yeah. happening? Um, so this is, yeah. As Andrew says here on YouTube, the whole cast is here and it's a loot. <laughs> so, it's a loot. Grab your waters because this, this is going to be a good one. Before we start, though, Evan, we just launched the website, right? We did. We totally did. ReadingDune.com. What can you do at ReadingDune.com? You can do a bunch of stuff. I mean, primarily, you can buy merch, which yeah. I designed and I'm very proud of. And I need to buy some myself, actually. Need to practice what I preach and pay myself for some reading Dune merch. So, uh, we have not had many asks on the show. We are now into our second season in the second book, and I think it's appropriate now that I can ask. Um, <laughs> if you have liked the show and you've gained something from it, please go to readingdune.com. We have some cool merch. We got some t we have t-shirts, we got mugs, we got some nice hats. The has- hats are currently of dad hats, corduroy dad hats that say stay spicy on it. That's our number one seller at the moment. <laughs> it's really kind of funny. Um, we also have a, a a place where you can leave comments. And as much as I love, I love reading comments on this show, obviously. Um, this one comes from Jessica Stevens from the website. 
from the website, like through the through the like contact thing on the website. Yeah, she could have emailed us, but instead she was at the website and just That's put in amazing. her name and put it in there. That's amazing. More of that, please. All right, readingdoom.com, Plug it one more time. So <laughs> Jessica Stevens, she says, "Woo, merch order number three. Then she got a mug. So she asked us if we would able to sign the mug, which I don't think we can do. So I'm very sorry about that, Jessica. No, we can't. But she says, love the podcast. You guys are so genuine and funny. I read Dune for the first time about 10 years ago. Been a huge fan ever since. I was also named after the lady, Jessica. So maybe that's just meant to be. What? That's cool. That's cool. Keep up the good work. Stay spicy, Jessica. Thank you, lady Jessica. (laughs) We unfortunately can't find the mug. But another way to help support the show, I know, just two, one right after the other. Wow, you're such a capitalist. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we, you can go to Patreon, which is patreon.com slash reading Dune. And, and our highest tier at 30 bucks a month, we will send you a copy of Dune Messiah that we have signed. I'm going to go find one on eBay, a really cool vintage one. And we'll sign it and we'll ship it to you. And that's probably going to cost as much as you're going to pay us to do the first month. But that's why it's recurring. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's what's going to happen. Um, and what's happening with Reading Dune is we're, you know, going out there. Diana, up. Diana from uh, YouTube here says, go get some spicy merch with three chili peppers. Oh, yes. There's not, there's not a lot of things quite as spicy as a corduroy hat. It's very it's true. Pretty, I was pretty stoked when I made that one. Like, we can have a corduroy hat. Which is funny because Evan, like, sent that to me. And then I was on Instagram. And then it was like, my wife showed me. She was like, look, these corduroy hats are so in style right now. And I was like, holy crap. Evan <laughs> just designed one of those. We are so lucky. Yeah. I think it's worth talking about also. Blitz Girl here on YouTube, by the way. If you're not watching live on YouTube. We want to hang out with you. If you're called caught up, make sure you find us on YouTube and you can literally watch the show. You can do the show with us pretty much. You're an audience member and we talk to you back and forth. Um, So Blitz Girl says, you too excited after the Oscars, the movie won yesterday? Gives me big hopes for the sequels. Ah. Evan, do you know how many Oscars Dune won last yesterday? Six? Six out of eight? Yeah, six out of eight. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. I mean, we didn't get the big, big ones. Um, right. But, you know, really good movies got some of them. And Dune still got six Oscars, which is like a lot, you know? I mean, we got cinematography, film editing, sound design. Hans Zimmer got woke up at 2 a.m. to receive his Oscar in his like hotel room <laughs> and thanked the guy that did the bagpipes. So I think... <laughs> that was worth it alone. And I mean, when we think about it, Fellowship of the Ring, nowhere. It got nominated for a lot, but it didn't win a lot. Yeah. So I'm feeling Return of the King vibes. Maybe I'm just optimistic for the second one. Maybe. But. Or the third one. Or the third ooh, one. Ooh, bum, ooh, bum, ooh, bum, ooh. bum. I know. I, th- I would just hate to see Jason Momoa show up again. Like kind of. It's a joke. Green. Okay. Yep. All right. Everyone who's a reader knew that one. All right. Moving on. All right. Let's dive into the chapter. Let's Here do we it. are. So we are in the Arakeen Palace. 
Yeah. Yeah. Aaliyah is now late to the meeting. She's rushing through the hallway. I like I, pic- I picture it. It's like the back shot. She's like watching, walking her walk in, opens the door, seeing everyone sitting there. They're kind of arguing. And she's going to the Imperial Council. This is the top dudes everywhere. Mm-hmm. She opens the door and instantly feels the tension in the room. Irulan won't look at Chani. Stilgar is busy shuffling papers, waiting to start the meeting. Which, by the way, what happened, Stilgar? How did you get here? I, I, you know, we'll get into that. Now he's like a, now he's like a, a paper pusher kind he's of a, guy. He's a straight bureaucrat. <sighs> and Paul is scowling at Corba of the Quizera, and. Aaliyah has this thought. I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> Aaliyah sits herself at the end of the golden council table. I think, purely speculation in Caleb's opinion here, this is a golden table. It's probably Irlan's father's table. Ooh. Which adds a whole other layer. This is this is the Imperial Council table. Yeah. Well, they like had it flown into Arakeen. He won. He said, hell yeah, give it to me. I want the freaking table. Give me that table. <laughs> Corbo was interrupted by Aaliyah's interest and goes back to telling something to Paul. What, 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 what I mean, my lord, is that there aren't as many gods as there once were. Aaliyah hears that and throws her head back laughing. <laughs> <laughs> At this motion, her black Abba hood fell off, exposing her deep blue within blue eyes. Well, she was like super spiced up I as think a fetus, right? <laughs> yes. So she definitely has blue eyes. She definitely has blue eyes. She looked a lot like her mother. So how old do you think Aaliyah is at this point? It's a, I think it says she's 15, yeah. right? At some point, Paul says he's which is how old Paul was at the beginning of the first book. Good connection. So, kind of a parallel there and helps me understand, like, kind of where she's at because she's 15. Yeah. But also, she's a million years old because she's got like (laughs) every Reverend Mother, like every Reverend Mother before her adds another however many years of life they had to her we, age. We, yeah, we, right? can, we can joke that some kids are old souls. She's literally a thousand old souls right. in one. <laughs> right. So she's laughing at Corba. Corba is glaring at her like an angry gnome, bald and fuming. Love those it. Are, those are Frank's words, not mine. <laughs> Do you know what is being said about your brother? Corba demanded. Aaliyah responds, I know what's said about your Quizarot. You're not divines. You're God's spies. Oh! Oh! Corba looks back at Paul for support. We, we were sent by the writ of Muhadib that he shall know the truth of his people and they shall know the truth of him. Just but, such- Dad... Right, we were sent by you, so everyone will know you. Elia's like, spies. Come on. 
Paul just looks at Aaliyah, wondering why Aaliyah needs to push Corba's buttons. But now, Paul saw Aaliyah, quote-unquote. Not as the little girl anymore, but <laughs> she's now passed into womanhood. Right? She's 15, almost 16, a legit reverend mother. Right. Without motherhood, she is the prototypical virgin priestess. She's the object of fearful veneration, and the masses are just obsessed with her. She is Aaliyah of the Knife. You remember the first time we saw St. Aaliyah of the Knife? Yeah. I was like, I mean, it was, I don't remember specifically, but it was a while back in the first book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like the third chapter we get talking about the tension between. Uh, a reverend mother versus a, a woman in her youth and that right. tension in between. Yeah. Which I, which is weird for this little girl to talk about. She's 15, but then again, she does have every single reverend mother in her. Yep. Talking to her constantly. Talking about having weird voices in your head all the time. <laughs> Moving on. Irlan makes a comment at Aaliyah. This is not the time or place for your sister's levity. Paul hears Irulan, but ignores her because that's her role. Yeah, I like kind of want to imagine uh, Aaliyah going, this is not the time for you to be, you know, like, <laughs> right, right, right. And Paul's like, ah, okay, moving on. He <laughs> nods to Corba and then says that there's the square is full of pilgrims. Like, I know that you just said that I should know the truth of my people. All of these people are coming to see me. Uh, you should go out and lead the prayer. Corba protests. Oh, but, but they expect you. Paul says, eh, put on your turban. They'll never know. <laughs> Which I love. Erlon is fuming because she's been ignored. The princess does not ever be ignored. And here she is being ignored all the time. And then, but she's constantly wondering, is Edric hiding her plans from the sister too? Because, I mean, come on. Aaliyah is also prescient. Mm -hmm. So, sure, we may hide it from Muad'Dib, but what about the sister, who is equally just as dangerous? Is she? Do we know that? No, like, not, not the, uh, she doesn't know that. Do we know that, like the readers? Um, yeah, it's safe to assume for you that she's ultimately very dangerous. Okay. She's arguably more dangerous. Because this happened to her when she was so young and how the masses remember how she was like a demon child in the CH. Yeah. Yeah. Now she's a priestess, virgin, goddess, warrior <laughs> person. Like it's a whole Fair other enough. level. Yeah. Okay. So. During this, Chani now has her hands clasped in her lap. She's like squeezing her hands really hard. And she's staring at Stilgar, who is her uncle. Right. And is now Paul's minister of state. He is the guy. And she wonders, as he's shuffling his papers, does he long for a simpler life back in the desert? Because I know that's what she's thinking. Like, if, gosh, right. this is so annoying. If we could just go back to recycling our water and not giving a crap about anything, that'd be great. 
Stilgar could feel Chani looking at him. So he looks away. He just doesn't acknowledge it. And he sees Corba now outside with his hands raised over his head for the benediction as the masses are just swelling in this moment. You know what I kind of pictured? Yeah. Uh, picture? When uh, in Two Towers, yes, in Two Towers, uh, The Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. Got, yeah. Huh? Um, when the movie, right? Yeah. When Grima Wormtongue is in, uh, what's it, Isengard with mm-hmm. uh, Saruman. And he's like talking about like, oh, there's no way to do a gigantic army. And he's like, I got a gigantic army. And he goes on the balcony and there's like yeah. tens of thousands of orcs. Right. Outside of the balcony or whatever. And he does like the big speech. Yeah. That's kind of what I was picturing, but like less I- Mordor-y. Less right. like dark and spiky and. Orky. Yeah, more of like um, dirty pilgrims and a religious power. Right. I think about like the Pope sometimes does this, right? In in the like Vatican Square and that kind of thing. So Corba has his hands over his head and the afternoon sun is shining on his hands as the sun is probably going down. So it's creating this halo effect around him on the wall behind him. The pilgrims are seeing now their Muhadib, which is really Korba, their <laughs> Muhadib leading them in prayer with the illusion that he's being crucified on a fiery wheel of death. <laughs> it also kind of looks like a worm, right? Korba drops his hands, benediction ends, returns inside. The balcony doors seal behind Korba as he returns to his seat to the left of Paul. Paul could see Corba was enjoying this moment of intense religious power. And so he leans over to Corba and says, hmm, the spirit presence has been invoked. And then Aaliyah quip, quips in, thank the Lord for that. Woo! Wait, 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 wait. Did Paul say that first line or did Corba say that first line? I thought Corba said it. Wait, read, read it. What does it say? I could have missed it. Well, he'd enjoyed that moment of religious power. Uh, talking about that would just happen, yeah. And then the spirit presence has been invoked. That sounds like Corba saying something oh, yeah. fancy after Could've he been. just like did that, you know? It's like the it's like the amen to the amen, right? And then Aaliyah's like, oh, "The spirit presence, <laughs> the little fifteen-year-old girl is making fun of you, you in the corner. Idiot, you're an idiot." Corba <laughs> is fuming, but not doing anything. Paul wonders about Aaliyah looking at her like, what the fuck, Aaliyah? What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you picking on Corba right now? <laughs> we need him. Paul knew that he was a freak and knew that Aaliyah was like a whole other level. Yeah. And she also had that Quizratch Hatterack genes too. But she was pre-born, right? During the water of life, both her and her mothers became reverend mothers simultaneously. Aaliyah says that experience that in one terrifying, insane moment, she had awakened to consciousness, her memory absorbing the uncounted other lives which her and her mother was assimilated. Aaliyah could feel Paul looking at her. She returned his gaze and just smiled. That awkward little sister smile. (laughs) Stilgar taps his papers. I have papers. These are important. This is what we're here to do. He says, these are urgent. 
So we're going to go through the list of all the important things the council has to deal with today. First one, right off the bat. So Stilgar says the guild wants Paul to sign a treaty saying he will not expose the location of the rebel base, which is called Tupayo Intante. Okay. Which I just love that. It's the rebel base. <laughs> Tell me where the rebel base is. It's just very Star Wars-esque. I'm yeah. like, ah, but now we're on the other side. And Paul could, if he wanted to, find it. But the guild's like, please don't do that. So the guild wants to operate and shuttle people back and forth to the rebel base without Paul knowing. So, so they're asking his permission? Yeah. Don't seems go looking weird. for it. Seems weird. It's a treaty. We're going to keep the peace here by letting that happen. Irlan pipes up. She says, let's just not give the guild spice anymore. But she says, my lord husband to Paul, so maybe he'll yeah. finally recognize her. Which also is, to like throw shade at Johnny a little bit. Right. Like she's right. He's in the room. He's always in the room. My lord husband. Dun, dun, dun. A little stare. A little, a little spicy stare at Johnny. <laughs> yeah. So, which I also think this is funny. She just says, let's just deprive him of spice, which whose argument was the um, to deprive everyone of spice. It was Paul's originally. Was, exactly. Yeah. So she's throwing his own argument back at him after 12 years. Right. And Paul just rolls his eyes. He finds this whole thing petty. But of course, what is Irulan but just a Benny Gesserit pawn? Chani's now just shaking her head at Irulan. Stilgar warns, if they can hide people, they can hide things or a secret army, or even start another spice cycle somewhere else. Which is funny, because that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. Right? They're trying to get a worm to start another spice cycle. Ali and Paul both know if they want to keep the peace, they have they can't chase their enemies into a corner. Right? Because as Duncan Idaho would tell you, people are unpredictable when they're in the corner. That's when mm -hmm. they are the most dangerous don't do it. Right. So Irland stands up and spews out that if they don't know where the rebel base is, they've spent the last 10 years of negotiation for nothing. The 15-year-old in the room, Aaliyah responds, none of my brother's actions are for nothing. You tell him. Irland sits back down, grabs her pen, and squeezes it as tight as she can until she starts <laughs> white-knuckling it. Paul looks at Irulan and can almost hear her repeating the litany back and forth to herself in her head. I must not fear. The fear is the mind killer. Yeah. I must not fear. Fear is the mind. And she's like white knuckling her pen. She's just like trying to stay as calm as possible and just writing stuff down like she's supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny. Um, and we were, we were talking about this before Caleb about, um, how we read all of those things from Irlon in the yes. first book. Uh -huh. And they were all just like so honorable and like the, the oh, Muhadib did not blah, blah, blah. and it was like very I don't know, talking about Paul in this very romantic religious way. But now we see her at physically writing it and she's just like 
pissed off all the time <laughs> you know like every time she's like writing something down she's like <laughs> but then like the the angry scribbles that she was making ended up being like the the quotes that we got in the first book that were also right. like the beginning is a delicate time right to keep all the balances are correct she's like scribbling it down in pure anger <laughs> So Aaliyah says they have to keep the confrontation down. There's already been too much blood that's been spilled under the Atreides banner, which Paul is shocked at this. Oh, yep. she feels it too. And then this starts, Paul starts, he starts spiraling like in his head. We, we, we must protect them from themselves. Was all the sacrifice worth it to ensure a bright future? Maybe a future would, where people would say, but for a Muhadib, you would not be here. Like he's still trying to rationalize in his head. This was all good, right? I, right. I did the right thing. He's still trying to figure out, like, can I come out of this as a good guy? Yeah. He, so he's, he's spiraling in his head constantly. And Nachani speaks up. De- denying them the melange would solve nothing. Paul then says, ah, I'll sign the treaty as is. Stilgar questions Paul. Uh, my lord, you have certain powers? Can't you just find them with your powers despite the guild? <laughs> Which, I mean, I think is an honest question. Right, but also, look at Stilgar tiptoeing. He's <laughs> never been one to tiptoe before, you know, and suddenly he's like, um, don't you have some, uh, I don't know, uh, abilities to maybe perhaps somehow, you know, but Stilgar, he could have been like, uh, could you see the future and like do something about it? <laughs> no, he has to like, but I, I, what can you see? What can't you see? I'm right. Confused. He's been, he's been, he's been changed by the, uh, the politics of the Imperium. Yeah. Which is sad. Cause this is Stilgar. Like, yes. The Fremen guy that we met. In the first book. Yes. So Paul, after hearing this, just looks down at the golden table, probably looking at his own reflection because it's probably a shiny table. <laughs> and he's thinking, how can I explain this? The, the express, the limits of the inexpressible. He looks up to Aaliyah like, help, what do I say? But Aaliyah is staring at Irulan. Aaliyah feels this Paul staring at her. And she looks at him, nods at the blonde Bene Gesserit spy in the whale fur, writing everything down. Like, be careful uh-huh. what you say. She's right there. <laughs> if he says anything, she'll pass it on to her Reverend Mother Superiors. So Paul has to give an answer, right? He's got to tell Stilgar something. So of course you say, "This is some. This is this is a quote at the beginning of a chapter." This is what this feels like. Yeah. The uninitiated try to conceive a, of prescience as obeying a natural law. Right? He makes his hands into a little steeple and says, but it's, but it's be just as correct to say as it's heaven speaking to us. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Does a chip caught in the wave say where it's going? Blah, 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 blah. Right, it's just a big esoteric statement of the philosophical to which all of us reading this say, "What?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I, I underlined a one of the 
sentences in the in his whole spiel um, that I think are the point of what he's talking to what he's talking about. Um, he said, "But such powers cannot be used from an attitude that pre-states aims and purposes." Basically, if you're trying to look into the, basically what I'm reading here is like if you're trying to look into the future but you're doing it with the intention of finding something specifically out. You're not going to find that specific thing out or the the whole thing just kind of falls apart. It's like when you say something with using a lot of math terms to say nothing at all. Right. Like you sound super smart, but it's like, yeah, that's what he gets to at the end. If he's not looking for, like you can't try to look for him and find him. Right. So Stilgar says, so you can't do it, right, dude? <laughs> so I've been like marking up this book, and it, I literally just wrote "so" like <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, so or you no? Can't do it, or where where are you at with being able to do it? <laughs> so of course, Paul then just says, "Uh, if I'm trying to find two pile, it might hide two pile from me." Right. At this, Irline protests, screaming at her notes because she's trying to make sense of all of this and says it has no consistency because <laughs> she's trying to take notes to report back to the Reverend Mothers of how prescience works because they're trying to figure it out because they're trying to make a Quizar cataract to could bring balance to the force in the world. The force, yeah. <laughs> so she's, And so Paul just looks at her and said, uh, I did say it obeys no natural law. Right. Like she just has this little outburst. And Paul's <laughs> like, I just said that. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Keep up. So Erlon tries to say something, but then Aaliyah cuts her off saying, how can my brother give you explicit info about something that has no limits? <laughs> the boundaries escape the intellect. Paul now looked down at Corba. Who was enraptured with this whole scenario? He's completely in another religious awe. Right. Corba's like, just like waving his arms in the corner, muttering in tongues to himself. <laughs> just because Paul's Paul's spiel was so uh, esoteric you know, and yeah, philosophical so, and religious. So he's meta like, that he's like having a spiritual experience. <laughs> <laughs> So Stilgar's like, so you will sign the treaty? Paul Can smiles. We just get back to work. <laughs> Paul smiles and is like, yeah, I'll sign it. All right. Done. Next issue. Stilgar brings up that the Ixian Confederation will submit, but they're asking for a constitution. And some other house and some of the houses of the Lanzarat are in on this as well. So the Ixians are now a new people that have just recently been conquered by the Jihad. Thank you, the wild Jihad, to bringing the world back into order. And the Ixians are cool with it, but they want a constitution. Maybe some representation. Why does the emperor have so much power? And some of the lands are at or like houses are like, yeah, we can get in on this. Paul thinks to himself, finally, the Jihad falters. But then again, dun, 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 thinks of all the bloodshed and the terribleness that has happened in his name and send him down a spiral again. Johnny and Irulan both agree, which is weird, but they agree <laughs> that they could trick everyone in thinking that the Constitution was real, but it's actually fake. 
It's really just right. serving all the same interests. And then Corba asks, which is probably my favorite line in the whole book, could it be a religious constitution? <laughs> like he's so enraptured. It's like, okay, but could we at least be religious about it? And this is where Paul treats Corba like Meg from Family Guy. Like, <laughs> no, shut up. <laughs> no, Meg. Who no, let you back no. in the house? <laughs> in the kitchen, Meg. <laughs> and then he's like, no. And then we'll make an order in this council. Are you recording this, Irulan? And Irulan's like, yes, my lord. And then Suddenly he, she's like the uh, the the scribe, the like note taker for this group project that they're doing right now. <laughs> right, and she does it. She wants to be the head, but she's stuck being the note taker. That's her only job. All right, so here's the quote that Paul says. We might need to break this down because Frank That's likes politics. Yeah. yeah. All right. Constitutions become the ultimate tyranny. Their organized power on such a scale as to be overwhelming. The Constitution is a social power, mobilized, and it has no conscience, and can crush the highest and the lowest, removing all dignity and individuality. It, ha it has an unstable balance point and no limits. I, however, have limits. In my desire to provide the ultimate protection for my people, I forbid a constitution, order and counsel to this date, et cetera, et cetera. All right. What do you think, Evan, as an American citizen with a constitution, do you think he's talking about? I think that I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> zero dude because right. i was just you know i'm i'm a citizen of two countries both of which have constitutions and i'm like what's wrong with constitutions <laughs> my teachers all said they were great i'm completely just ignorant to this like aspect of like political theory so i'm just a dummy right now all right well this gets my juices going because <laughs> as my bachelor's is in political theory for some odd reason why I decided to do that. I don't know. I have not used that ever since except talking about dude in this moment. So this is, whole moment is maybe worth $30,000 of my undergrad. Yeah. Democracy on a whole other level basically saying that if mob rule happens, it doesn't matter. They'll crush everybody. They'll crush the high, they'll crush the low. There is no, no guarantee, no stop gaps, no checks and balances. Mm -hmm. he, he then says, he says, I, however, have limitations, which I just need to call into question real quick. He's the Quizrach Hatterack. He's putting limits on himself. And do we trust somebody who can check themselves? over mob rule i don't know i don't know i think i think he just wants to tell them no one needs an excuse but i also know that frank is trying to say something here that democracy can when ruled by the mob in small local things can swing to the left and to the right very drastically and it can swing like a pendulum and it can get too high and without living in the middle where it should yeah but, you know what this reminds me of? What does this remind you of, Evan? Uh, Fight Club. 
Where's the first rule of Fight Club? It's, it's not, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. The whole the whole thing where like Tyler Durden says stuff and you're like, oh man, yeah. that's true. But then also that's super grim and not the kind of person I want to be, you know? Um this yes. that's kind of what this reminds me reminds me of. It's like Paul is, is saying something, or maybe even Frank is saying something about the nature of democracy and, mm-hmm. and the, the idea of a constitution that you're like, that's a good point. But also like, Oh, you know, like what? Right. Yeah. And I think what do we, I ha- do with that? we have to just take that. And this is, we'll get into a lot more politics as we see this whole chapter is political in the back and forth. Yeah. Uh, oh, democracy um which i think is a also good point um they're looking for a ruling power that they just want written rules down hopefully to give more power away from the ruling monarch which would be muhadib but it is a valid point that constitutions do not equal democracy um so someone asked about the of course the Ixians are concerned I want a constitution because for what reason? Taxes. Taxes. The, the only reason we really care about constitutions is taxes. That's why we wanted one, right? <laughs> yeah. Paul says, yeah, whatever. They'll pay for the guild to transport. I don't really care. No constitution. <laughs> Next item. Dun, dun, dun. The Quizzerat are reporting on Seleucus Secundus that Irulan's father has been putting his legions through landing maneuvers. Uh-oh. So after the fall of the emperor, um, he went back to Seleucus Secundus, the worst possible place to go, and he's now <laughs> put in charge of the little army there, and he's probably running them through maneuvers to feel something. Like he's probably like he's just getting him out of bed in the morning. So, yeah. Paul questions you. Don't think he's like trying to... Be sneaky and get them ready for a, an invasion or something? Yeah, okay. Who? How? This is that whole question and that whole thing. Right. Like, it's just one battalion. He can't do anything with it. Aaliyah suggests that, well, she knows some commanders who would gladly go kill the former emperor just for thinking about this. <laughs> and Irulan says, no, daddy, no. <laughs> yeah, she suggests that some in the Empire may have looked back on her father's reign with some nostalgia. Chani is now fuming, yelling at Erlon. And finally, Paul is like, enough! And once again, Erlon proved her worth. The line about nostalgia was partially true. So, action item, do nothing. Next item. The Bene Gesserit went to formally ask Paul about the preservation of his bloodline. They spent a lot of years and a lot of hard work and a lot of manipulation to get to this point, and they want to make sure that their their investment is secure. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm disappointing you because <laughs> you manipulated literally everyone to make me. Literally everybody. <laughs> so at this, Chani gets nervous, and she side-eyes the papers as if the papers just offended her. 
And then Paul says, yeah, give the Benny Gesserit the usual excuses. I don't care. But then Chani pipes up, says, maybe it's time to consider. Paul cuts her off. Then Chani cuts him off. She will not be stopped. She says that she's been even going to prayer walls and gets to bar and gone to doctors. And Paul's like, yeah, everything is failing you. Religion's failed you. Science has failed you. Have I failed you also? What does it mean to bring another Atreides into the world? And what does that mean for the universe? Right. There's currently two of them at this table, and they're both psycho freaks. <laughs> <laughs> what happens if we bring another one in? Right. Like, ah, golly. Who knows what the universe will do if there's three of them? Right. What are, yeah, what are the Bene Gesserit going to do? What's the guild going to do? What's all these people? Gonna, all right, okay, moving on. All right, who's to no. know? Irulan sees the tension in the room and decides now's her time and says if Paul can't produce an heir, there will be civil strife among the houses and among the people. Paul then pushes away from the golden table, walks up and goes to the balcony. The sun has now gone down and it's about dusk. There's a silvery blue reflected off the shield wall. Everyone is watching him and he's watching outside. He's just looking down. Everyone is also aware how close to rage he was over this whole discussion. Hmm. This is not, this is like probably in every other day discussion too. And he's tired of talking about it right. for 12 years. Yeah. But Paul could feel time rushing in upon him. Disengage, 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 he thought. Which I think is interesting. When was the last time we saw the dis- disengage pop up? I mean, it was just the last the last time we saw Paul. Yeah, last time we saw Paul, the terrible purpose was creeping in his head saying disengage, right. Right. disengage. So he's having these recurring thoughts that he just needs to leave. And it's just leave. So he thinks, hmm, maybe I could run away with Chani to the rebel base. Leave all this behind. Right. Now we get now we get some exposition here of what's happening and the religion and the pilgrims and what's happened in the last 12 years. He looks down and sees the white and green pilgrims of the of the Hajj in the square below him. He remembers the Hajj. The Hajj. What's yeah. the Hajj? They're um the Fremen would say in the last book they talk about they were denied the Hajj. It's the pilgrimage to visit the holy place where they could be they can be together. Oh. Now the entire universe does the Hajj. And where do they go? Arrakis. Yeah. He remembers how right now the reception hall is gonna be packed with pilgrims. This quote unquote exercise in homelessness had become a disgusting source of wealth. For the Imperium. Yeah. Which is also a little grotesque because he like he's thinking, did I set this in motion? What did I do? Right. And the pilgrimage ends here on Arrakis, right? It goes all over the known Imperium, going to all the spots where all the jihadi wars happened, and it ends on Arrakis, the place of rebirth. So to do the pilgrimage, you have to pay for all of that transportation. Right. To all of these different places that eventually winds up in Arrakis and then you got to get back home. So like basically all of those people 
traveling that much is creating so much money in the economy. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and they need spice to do that. Where's the spice come from? From Arrakis. So they're just making they're just making bank in yeah. every possible way. Uh-huh. Dang. Off the exploits of those people thinking it's a religious experience to come here. Right. A place to die. People come here to die. Dang. Which snide old Fremen just say that Paul started the pilgrimage so he could get their water. People come die here. We'll just take their water and we'll use it. But Paul wants to know what do the pilgrims actually want, right? They came here because Arrakis is supposed to be the place of unknown where all mysteries are explained. That somehow this was the link between their universe and the next. And the frightening part for Paul is that most of the pilgrims left feeling satisfied. Right. So they actually got something out of it. Right. It's it's like, I'm going to trick you this whole time into coming here and you're going to leave satisfied. And he feels awful about it. Like this disgusted almost. Right. I mean, sounds familiar. <laughs> but uh, some yeah. people would uh, be happy about it and not feel, you know, upset or conflicted. You could say there would be a certain social class that benefits tremendously from this happening. Right. I'm that also talking be- about parallels in the real world, but we don't have to get into that mm-hmm. right now. Nah, that this is already 45 minutes long. <laughs> Everywhere there is peace, Paul thought. Everywhere but the except in the heart of Muhadib. <laughs> so uh, Paul goes emo for a second. <laughs> yeah. Somebody said this wasn't a rom-com. Here we are. Right. I'm just a kid and life is a nightmare. All of a sudden, Paul feels Chani slide her hand into his. He looks at her. Sihaya, he whispered. And she says, please, we must go to the desert soon. She takes him. They return back to the table. The meeting continues. She sits down. Paul's still standing. Paul says, Irulan proposes herself as the mother of the imperial heir. And we all know that she holds no love for me. Irulan won't look at him and also won't move. Right. Paul continues. I know all the political arguments, but as matters stand, I reject the proposal. Irwin took a deep, shaky breath. <laughs> Paul sits down saying, he finally looks at Irwin. Irwin, I am truly sorry. She looks up at him. Her eyes are filled with pure, fur- pure fury. She says, I don't want your pity. I don't want your pity. Starts writing again. (laughs) Irlan then growls at Stilgar. Is there more that's urgent and dire? Like, let's move on. (laughs) So, next piece of business. Stilgar looks at Paul. Um, The guild again proposes a formal embassy here on Arrakis. Corba speaks up again. We hear from him. One of the deep space kind? <laughs> Corba then goes on how none of the Fremen will ever have one of these guildsmen on the ground because they remember how this whole oppression got started and won't allow it. Right? They were, they, they, the Fremen were selling to the guildsmen. They were selling right. spice behind everybody's back. The guildsmen that set this whole thing up have been oppressing them. They pretty much... They could think they sent the Harkonnens via the emperor, like all these different things. 
But then Paul snaps at Corba again. Enough. Do you think I have forgotten Muhadib, the Quizrach Hatterack, who can be all places at once, who knows everything? I forgot <laughs> what it was like. Really? As though he just awakened, Corba heard what he was implying and stuttered almost unintelligibly. Oh, oh um, mm, mm, my lord, uh, forgive me. I didn't mean to imply you are not Fremen. Paul says, ah, they'll send a steersman. Irwin is then suddenly full of fear. You've, <gasps> you've seen a steersman come here? Her hand goes to her mouth. You've seen a steersman, Paul mocks her. Of course I haven't seen a steersman. But I can see where one has been and where one is going. Let them send a steersman. Perhaps I have use for one. Stilgar says, so ordered. A smile creeps on Irulan's face, hidden behind her hands. She thought, it's true then. Our emperor cannot see a steersman. They're mutually blind. The conspiracy is hidden. Bum, 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 bum. Yep, there we go. End of chapter five. Wow. I feel like we got a lot of petty conversations. We kind of know where everyone in the, in the room stands, where their relationships are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How much Paul is an emo kid. <laughs> How life. snarky Aaliyah is. How pissed off Irulan must be at all times. Stilgar feels like a shell of a man that he once was. Yeah, that's sad. And Johnny, I just feel sad for. I just, I feel broken for her. Yeah, but she still, uh, she still manages to be a badass. Always, you know, like Irulan saying stuff, and she's like. You know, one day you're going to say something that will go too far, which is like, oh, <laughs> kind of a I, really harsh threat, you know? And then I will kill you <laughs> straight up. Ugh. All right. Well, thank you so much for going through chapter five of Dune Messiah with us. Um, also, please go to the website reading. What is it? What is it again? Oh, yeah. Readingdune.com. Readingdune.com. Easy to remember. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, send us an email, and we just want to hear from you, see what's happening, and uh, share this with a friend who's also very stuck um, in Dune Messiah, because I know it can be a lot. That's why we have the show. Yep. And we're going to be in Discord right after this to talk about all our feelings, Yeah. as if these last 51 minutes were not enough. So if you haven't joined the Discord... Go join the Discord. There's a link in the description there. So. Yeah. Go join the Discord where if, if we talk about all the books, Evan is not in those chats. But if you need somebody to talk to, there's a bunch of people in there that answer a lot of questions. So with that, please stay spicy and I'll see you next chapter. Peace.